Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Luke 12:13-21. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Then I'll say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. I was really going to recap the Bible reading, so I'm glad we didn't do it twice. Um, well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's wonderful to be with you and uh, to have the opportunity to speak to you. Um, as Andy mentioned, we are doing things slightly differently over August, and um, we've got a few different people who normally don't have the opportunity to preach um, getting up to, to talk, so it's, uh, it really is my privilege. Um, and we are in a five-part series on rest. This is the second of, uh, of that series. Um, and so... We're going to get into that, and um, for those of you who haven't met me, um, my, name, my name is Keegan, and I'm married to Hannah, and we have a young little son by the name of Benjamin who's nine months old, and so when I got told that after having kind of signed up for the date that I would be preaching, that I was preaching on rest, there was a deep irony that began to sink in, and I suddenly found myself going, God, what? are you crazy? I'm the guy who hasn't been sleeping for nine months. Our life has been turned upside down by this little guy. Now I need to come and talk about rest. And um, thank goodness that God is good and he's gracious. And as we've, I've begun to stew on this, uh, this scripture that we're looking at today, he really has brought some relief to my soul. And I hope that I can share a little bit of that um, with you today. And having a, having a child is not a prerequisite for the sermon, so if you are, you know, don't yet have kids, that's absolutely fine. You're, uh, you know, this will be applicable as well. And if you don't consider yourself a Christian and perhaps you're looking in, I just invite you to come and have a listen to what one of the, the people who've changed the course of history has to say about this topic of rest. We're going to look at Jesus and some of his teachings. So we're going to do this in two parts. Um, part one, we're going to look at the rest that the world foolishly strives for. The rest that the world foolishly strives for. And in the second half of the sermon, there'll be another Bible reading. We're going to look at the real rest of the disciple. The real rest of the disciple. So let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you that you've given us everything that we need to have life and life to the full. That for those of us who have walked in here perhaps a bit weary disturbed by what's going on in the world, Lord, that you offer true rest for our souls. 
And I just pray that you use these few words of mine, Father, to really speak to us, to open up our hearts, and to bring freedom and peace to all of us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Great. Well, it seemed like everyone was actually listening to the Bible reading for a change. It went really quiet, but normally people aren't. So I'm going to recap quickly. So we're in the book of Luke. Luke wrote about um, Jesus. He was kind of gathering all of the eyewitness accounts about 30 years after Jesus had died to try and write what he calls an orderly account of the life of Jesus. He was a physician, and um, it's great that we get to look at this book because we know that he spent a lot of time meticulously gathering the details of what was happening around the time of Jesus. And so we picked up the Bible reading halfway through the book, and at this time, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified for our sins. And as he's going through and making his way, he's gathering up people, stopping in different towns, and these crowds are gathering. And as he's going, he's teaching some of the crowds, he's speaking to his disciples. And, and we, we pick up the story where a crowd is gathered, and Jesus is teaching them, and some man interrupts. And he says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. Now, that was probably a rightful claim. You know, if you look back in the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament said that inheritances were to be divided. And so he comes to Jesus saying, please help me. I'm in the situation where I've got this inheritance that's due to me and my brother is probably being unreasonable and not wanting to share. Please help me. And Jesus goes on to tell the story of the rich fool, this parable. And um, it starts out and tells us, you know, the story of this this rich guy who had a whole bunch of land and this land produces plentifully and he wonders what am I going to do so he tears down all of his barns and he says I'm going to build bigger ones and I'm going to store up why and here's the punchline for today he says that so that he can say to his soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax rest take it easy eat drink and be merry. Isn't this a little bit what the world tells us? Rest when you're rich. Rest when you're rich. When you've got all the things that you need. Then you can put your feet up and have an easy time. And I think we quite quickly get caught up in this, don't we? We seek after riches. And I don't mean only, you know, kind of the number of zeros in your bank account. But it sometimes goes something like this. If I could just have a slightly bigger home with a bit more space for the kids, oh, then I can, you know, I'd, I'd be able to relax and rest. Or maybe if I get that promotion at work and I can earn a little bit more money, there'll be a bit more room in the budget and I can rest. Or if I marry into the right social status and I find someone that is acceptable to my family, then I'll know that I can just get rest for my soul. Or maybe it's that holiday that you've been just yearning for, waiting to go away and you haven't been able to afford it. Or perhaps a well-resourced retirement. You know, you might be thinking, well, I've, I've, done, I've done okay, actually. Saved up, I've stored up, I'm reaching the end of my career, and, and now I'm going to go into a season where I can just take it easy. And this is how we live a lot of the time. These are the things that drive us. Now, I must caveat by saying that these are not bad things. These are all good things. Saving for retirement. There's lots of wisdom in all of this stuff. But I think the issue is when we begin to think that this is really going to provide any rest for our souls, we end up in a way of life that is relentless and exhausting. And Jesus says, it's foolish. Oof, quite tough, right? He calls him, he says, fool, 
Why? Well, I think there's three reasons. I think the first is when we live this way, it distracts us from matters of eternal significance. Think about this man in the crowd. Here's this guy who's turning the kind of known land at the time upside down. People are gathering. He's teaching about matters of eternal life and death. And this man from the crowd interrupts him with this sort of civilian affair to say, Jesus, I've got this money that's due to me that's not being paid. Can you help me out? He's missed it. He has the Messiah offering him eternal life. Missed it. And what about the rich man in the parable? He spent all his time accumulating all this wealth, building his business affairs, and Jesus says to him, tonight your soul will be required of you. And that's the question that we face, isn't it? How do we stand with Jesus today? If we were to go tonight, where is your soul? Are you right with God or are you not? Have you been distracted with work, with career, with family, with getting the right education? And ultimately, when we build our lives on these things, the foundation is fragile, right? I mean, you just look at the world today. Look at the economic situation. Look at what COVID has done. Things are not stable, right? People are calling it the time of shocks. There's been so much that's turned our lives upside down, and it may continue. And so when we put our faith and our trust in these things, we're building on fragile ground. Money that's here today and gone tomorrow. Success that's here today and gone tomorrow. Status that you have today and maybe gone tomorrow. And so this is why I think it's not a good idea. This is why Jesus says it's foolish. You're going to live anxiously on fragile and uncertain foundations. And ultimately, I think that there's a much deeper restlessness in our souls which is not going to be satisfied by these things. So in 2016... Durham University did what was called the REST study. It's the biggest study, apparently, that's been done on the topic of REST. They interviewed 18,000 people from 134 different countries and asked them questions about REST. And one of them was this question which asked them, what words do they associate with REST? And if we could have the, um, the slide up which shows some of those words. This is what people said something that's yearned for. It's uplifting. It's liberating. It's free. It's not tense. It brings joy. It's regenerative. It's effortless. These things of deeper longing. And then there was my favorite that snuck in there. Hugi. I think that's how you pronounce it. The Danish word for the art of living cozily. Somehow made it in. I don't know. They must have oversampled Danish people or something. But um, there it is. All of these things that our souls are longing for that really are not going to be satisfied in material riches and riches of the world. And we also see this, don't we, in the life of Solomon. Solomon, one of the greatest kings of the Jewish people, is recorded as having greatness beyond all other kings who have come before him. He had amassed this amazingly impressive empire. He says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And then this is his reflection. Once he had had all the stuff and had done it all, got the badges, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. One of the greatest kings, one of the most accomplished, most successful people has that to say. 
And again, these are not bad things. It's not what I'm saying. But they are not going to give us the peace and the rest that our souls are longing for. So, how do we avoid this allure to kind of follow and walk in the ways of foolishness that the world has shown us and so often, you know, encourages us to do? Well, Jesus gives us the kind of practice that we should be doing. When he responds to the man from the crowd, he says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so this is my first practice of two in the sermon, of what I think we need to be doing. We need to be guarding our hearts. It's not about what's in your bank account or your home. It's about what's happening in your heart. And we have the privilege and the challenge of living in this wonderful city of London. It's an amazing place, built on tremendous success, right? Since the time when it was founded, which was about the same time that the book of Luke was written, when the Romans rocked up on the banks of the Thames and founded the city of Londinium, it has been built on tremendous success. The World Economic Forum earlier this year, they have a, a study that they do which ranks world cities by their magneticness, as they call them. And London was ranked the most magnetic city in the world. Why? Because of its ability to attract people, to attract business, to attract wealth and resources to the city. And in some ways that's amazing, but it presents for us as believers a real challenge. Because the tide of the Thames flows for iconic buildings, for great museums, for successful business. And if we leave ourselves drifting along in the river, what happens? We see the person next door who's been more successful than us. And we begin to covet in our hearts. We begin to long after the things that they've got that we don't. And I had a funny, I um, saw something quite hilarious uh, a couple of weeks back when I was walking over Lambeth Bridge. And I was, it was a time when the, the, the tide was pushing really strongly down the Thames. And there was this um, old man white gray hair in a small boat with a tiller arm motor riding this boat into and against the tide. And if you, you've ever kind of watched boats when they need to go against the tide, there's a lot of force and power that they've got to generate to get going in that river. And here was this guy just going through the city, the small little dinky boat. I was half impressed. I mean, I wondered how he had got there and gotten this far up the river and why no one had stopped him. But here he was, riding through this tremendous city, passing by all these wonderful barges, this old man just going through on his boat. And I thought that's a bit of a picture of how we ought to be living, isn't it? As believers, as Christians in the city, not getting caught up in what the, the, the city has to offer, but swinging our motor around, turning into the tide and saying, we're going to keep going against the tide of culture, against the things that the city is calling us to live because we have freedom and a new way of life in Christ, which is not the same as the tide of the city. God is calling us to live counterculturally. And Andy said it last week, and I'm going to say it again, that may look silly. There may be people standing on the banks who go, you're doing what? You're driving in which direction? In what kind of boat? Are you insane? 
Yeah, we may be. We may be. But we may also know a God who is tremendously kind and generous and almighty, is calling us to live in a different way. And so here are some questions for you to think about, where is my heart perhaps coveting? I find this one really helpful for me is, where do your thoughts drift when you're on your own? Perhaps when you're walking back from the station. What occupies your mind? What was it that made you anxious last week? Where are you spending your money? And what secret reward is your heart looking for? What secret reward is your heart looking for? Job says that our hearts are secretly enticed. It's those quiet thoughts that you have between yourself, maybe between yourself and God, that you're probably not talking to other people about. What's going on in the depths of you? What's really driving you and your identity? So, what does Jesus do in this parable, right? He addresses the crowds. He says that there's this way of living in the world that is foolish. And then he turns to his disciples. And I just thought that this is this beautiful moment where Jesus moves from talking to the world to saying, disciples, followers of me, there's a different way. There's a different way. And so we're going to read about it now in the second Bible reading. between you. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. Luke 12 verses 22 to 34. Do not worry. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near or no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Here's the second main point of the sermon today, and it's this. Disciples rest in the how much more love of their almighty Father. 
Where do I get this? Jesus says to his disciples, do not be anxious. Don't be worried about these things, about what you need in life, about your material you know, possessions and, and provision. Do not seek after these things that the pagan worlds, that the nations seek after. Why? Your father. Why? Your father. We need to hear that. Your father knows that you need them. If we have a, a God in heaven who is our Father, who is almighty, who knows what we need. Why do we need to be anxious? Why do we need to be anxious? Why do we need to pursue the things of this world? We don't. That's the beautiful news of Jesus, of becoming a disciple of his, a, a son or a daughter in God's house. You have a Father who knows what you need. And Jesus uses these two beautiful illustrations. The first one of the crows. He says, you, you, you don't see them gathering up and storing up for the next day. Why? Because God feeds them. Elsewhere in the Bible it says that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And then this other picture of the lilies. And that up there is probably what Jesus had in mind, the picture that you're seeing. It's a specific type of flower called a, in Hebrew called a kalanit which has got the picture and references to a bride on her wedding day. And most sort of historians seem to think that this was what Jesus was talking about when he said the lilies. It's a little bit like a red poppy. And in the springtime in Israel, after the rains have come in, they begin to cover all of the grasslands. And so there's this beautiful blanket of red. And what does God say? If he's willing to do that, to adorn the grass with such beautiful flowers, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? How much more? What beauty and dignity God wants to bestow on us as his children. Now, I know where your mind might be going, which is, well, there's a big problem in what you're saying, because what about all the Christians who don't have these things? And it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think Jesus himself says that we might be given up to trial and tribulation and be put to death. Paul talks about how, you know, it says, well, nothing can separate us from the love of God, not nakedness or famine, kind of implying that these things will come our way. So how do we, how do we square this? Well, two comments. I think the first is that Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, and all of this will be added to you. And so if we're seeking the kingdom of God, everything that we need, the money, the houses, the education, whatever it is to fulfill his calling, God will give it to us. That is his promise. And yes, we need to believe it. And the second comment I have is that the Bible goes on also to clarify a little bit what Jesus means by his kingdom coming. It doesn't only come in our lives. It comes through our lives, through the church. That's how Jesus' kingdom is established. And if we read what it says, um, and this is now going on to my second practice, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
I think sometimes we sort of think that God provides miraculously in quite mysterious supernatural ways, that suddenly our bank account's going to have extra zeros on it when we need it to, or this magical check is going to appear. And yes, of course, that sometimes does happen. But the thrust of the New Testament is actually that you and I and those of us here who have will sell and will give back to those who have a need. This kind of harks back to the Jubilee, where there was this every 50 years radical redistribution of wealth. Slaves would have been set free. Land would have been given back to rightful owners. And we see something similar in the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke, where he talks about how the New Testament church is living, where he says that they were selling all their possessions and giving to any who was in need. I just think the Bible is pretty pragmatic here. Jesus' teaching is quite simple. It's not a new economic system that's going to solve inequality in our community. It's us being free in our hearts from coveting these things and saying, Lord, we're happy to give. From you we have received and we will freely give. And I think that's the practice that we need to work on. Extravagant generosity. So here are some questions. What can you sell or give away? Maybe there's a spare car, a mobile phone that you're not using anymore that could go to someone who needs one. Maybe an apartment that's sitting idle that you could give to someone who needs radical generosity. Is there anyone that you suspect in your life who may be struggling financially? Could you build a bit more of a relationship with them, get to understand what's really going on, see if you could help? Maybe you could host a refugee for a couple of months. How about that for an idea? Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, regarding money, and I think there is a slide up for this. Um, regarding money, the Christian counterculture encourages a, radical, a radically generous commitment of time, of money, of relationships, and of living space to social justice and the needs of the poor, the immigrant, and they're economically and physically weak. And when you read the book of Luke, you see this thrust coming through, this care that Jesus has for the poor, for the vulnerable. And that's the call for us. Extravagant generosity. That's how we swing this motor around in our boats and run against the tide of the city. It's by giving. Every act of giving is another injection of fuel into that motor to keep us burning hot against the tide of culture. Every act of generosity is like a sledgehammer that comes and hits the chains that are encapsulating our hearts from letting the love of God flow out. It's through acts of generosity, regular, ongoing acts, that we will be free and live and see the signs and wonders and miracles and salvations that the New Testament church saw. So let me summarize. We go on to the next slide. There's a foolish way to live. The way of the world, which says, rest when you're rich. Yoke yourself into self-sufficiency, as Andy said last week, 100% our effort. And how do you live? In a state of anxiety and fear, because your provision is here today, gone tomorrow. And what's your gain? Well, maybe you get some satisfaction, but it's momentary. And it's shallow. Why? Because you're coveting in secret 
and we're hoarding and we're being selfish and reinforcing inequality. And Jesus is calling disciples to live in a different way. Rest when? Right now. Not when you've got these things. Right now because of the how much more love of your almighty Father. You're yoked into sovereignty. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you'll live in a state of peace and freedom with provision that is here every day to fulfill his kingdom calling. And you'll have an everlasting deep joy. So how do we do it? Guard our hearts with care and give extravagantly to those who are in need. If I could have the band up and perhaps we can stand to our feet. I mentioned at the beginning that um, <laughs> this has been an exhausting nine months for us. And um, there was a point when I was trying to figure out balancing work, family life, needing to prep for the sermon, and I was feeling a little bit burnt out. And Hannah graciously decided to help me to go to work really early, except I didn't go to work. I went and I grabbed a coffee and I sat on the river for an hour, just stewing in the scripture, saying, God, what's going on in me? And here's what I think he began to show me, that I covet career progress. Earning a good salary, getting the praise and recognition of my bosses. That I covet owning a home in a good catchment area where I'd know that there would be good schools for Benjamin. And because of that, my life is relentless often. It's exhausting. And I think that God is calling me and you and us today to a new way, to a way where we are free, where our hearts are free from the material things that this world and this city is drawing us to. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. And I just want to encourage you, respond with faith now and in the days to come. Let the stew in your heart, let it change you. Because I believe that there will be an amazing thing that starts to happen in our church when we begin to get free of these idols in our lives. So God, we ask, we know that we need you. We need your power, Holy Spirit. We need you to transform us, to change us, to free us. And so I pray, won't you do that right now, this morning? Pray this in your mighty and wonderful and loving name. Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.